We think about the struggle with hunger as a series of poor choices that lead to living on the sidewalk. Imagine for a moment that a circumstance in your own life sets off a chain of events where you make all of the right choices, but things beyond your control stack up, knock you down, and you find yourself lacking the resources to get back up. This is Philip Allstott. Today on Beyond Jay, a story about hunger and basic needs. From being in foster care, being homeless as a youth, being, you know, you're telling my life. That's Mona, a resident of Sacramento, a mother, and a student at Sacramento State. Someone who is trying to do the right thing for herself, for her children, and for their future. That's Danielle Munoz, case manager for the CARES office at Sacramento State, and she leads our Centers for Diversity and Inclusion. So we will hear about Mona's specific challenges, but also a general story about how we often equate poverty with character and we rush to judge. Okay, I had my first pregnancy when I was 17 years old. <laughs> Me and his father was together and his father was abusive. But where was I gonna go? with this child, and then we ended up having another child. And eventually I left him, and that's where it really started, because together, financially, we were able to do things, you know, but when I left him is where the, the real struggle came. So how common is Mona's story? Unfortunately, Mona's story is quite common Sometimes women will find themselves in a violent relationship. It doesn't start that way, but when they start realizing that there are concerns for their safety and the safety of their children, and in Mona's case, will need to leave, even at the expense of living in her car. From there, Mona stayed with family and friends. She enrolled herself in Job Corps, taking advantage of their child care program where she learned how to operate construction equipment in addition to earning her diploma. I graduated and then I couldn't find a place because the place that I left my kid's father with, he like went and banged the whole place up and it was a mess and so I got stuck with the bill. So when I was going around looking for a place, nobody wanted to rent to me and I couldn't understand why because I wasn't educated on it. I just was like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? So eventually I went into this one landlord um, in Atomas and I got tired of people telling me no. So I said, can I talk to your manager? Like, I wanna talk to the boss, who's the boss? So the lady pulled me in her office and she's like, what's going on? Listen, I left a situation that was abusive. I've been looking for a place for this long. I work, this is the check stubs that I have. This is what I have to offer. And she made me make her a promise. She said, if you don't allow him to come live with you, I will let you have a place here. So I had a one-bedroom apartment with me and my two little kids, and I gave them the room, and I, I created a bedroom in the kitchen area and had a little couch over there. Like, we had our little space. I was paying for childcare, and I wasn't on any aid. I didn't qualify for any of that stuff. And I remember while I lived there, their dad came, and he slashed all the tires on my car. And so now, if I have to buy tires for a truck, when I get my paycheck, you know, you pay your bills, and you have to buy tires for a truck, put gas in the car, pay for childcare, and okay. When you find yourself 
in these situations where you want to make sure that you pay your rent and your childcare and all the essentials, you often also make the decision not to eat. And that is hard, but you do it for your family. I remember all we had was milk and noodles. I wouldn't eat so I can feed them because that was all I had. And I remember that my mom and them being mad at me because I didn't tell them I didn't have food. But I asked them for money. I just didn't tell them what it was for because they shunned me for having kids. Like, that's what you get. It was your kids, you raise them, you know, that kind of thing. I vowed then that I'll never, ever go through that again. Well, you don't never vow things. <laughs> you don't vow things, you know. But I remember thinking, like, I can never go through this again. This is horrible. Then a downturn in the economy cost Mona her job in construction. For a while, she was on unemployment. And then she got into caregiving. When you go from bringing home every week, anywhere from twelve to $1,600 a week, to every two weeks, $800. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a big change. I ended up in caregiving because a friend of mine was a manager there, and she was like, we need some help. And I was like, girl, I don't know if I can do diapers. But I did it anyway. She needed help, and she knew that I would take care of people, but I didn't think I was going to fall into it like I did, you know. But once you get into that, it was making $8.25 an hour to take care of people. $8.25 to change diapers, feed people, hand over hand, with no benefits, working through the holidays. I felt very insulted. That's... Cold. $8.25 is not enough to live on and yet too much to qualify for food aid, which historically we know as food stamps. In California, we refer to the federal program as CalFresh, which provides money for groceries. And in Mona's case, she had to find additional work. I was working three jobs. I was working a graveyard job, so I would go to work from 10 to 6, which meant I got to leave my kids at home by themselves. They have to watch each other in the middle of the night. And then I was working a daytime job at another facility. And then I had my own individual person that I would go to her house and carry it for. So this is how I did it. In the morning time, I would get my kids up and get them ready for school and send them on their way. Then I would go to my job, and I would do that. I would come home, I would get a little rest, throw something in to cook, and then I would go and do the person, the individual person, put her in the bed, come home, make sure the kids were situated, make sure at least the younger ones asleep, and then I would go and work my graveyard job. And I would do it every day. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So eventually I got Section 8. Section 8 is a part of the Federal Housing Act of 1937 that offers help to people who can't pay their rent. But when you get on Section 8, no one cares. It's supposed to be there to help you. It comes with a big, big stigma. Those people on that program, that's what I heard for like months. I almost lost Section 8. And, and this one person in South area was like, okay. But he didn't fix the house up. We fixed the house up. 
Yeah, I got into debt doing that too. I had to get a credit card, but we fixed the house up. She had mice in there. It was disgusting, but we redid the whole entire house. So it looks really nice. We was pretty proud of ourselves. So I got to meet Mona when she came into the CARES office. The CARES office at Sacramento State provides students like Mona services such as emergency funds, emergency housing, CalFresh application assistance, and advocacy for students in crisis. Many students are able to avoid eviction, get stable housing, cover medical bills, receive food aid and transportation support through the CARES office. And she came in wanting to talk about rent and getting support with that. But then I got to know her story and I learned that she had fell in love and was uh, recently married. They were raising a family together and it was just really difficult for me to hear about this woman who was trying to make really good choices for her family and going to school. Then I found out I had cancer, breast cancer. And I was supposed to be starting at Sac State that semester. And I remember I was so angry, not that I had breast cancer. I was more angry that I'm supposed to be starting Sac State. I came too far. You know what I'm saying? When I started school, graduating wasn't on my radar. You know, here I am struggling, living hand to mouth all these years, working my butt off. And no, this is not going to stop me, right? So I had my surgery in August, and then I started school in August. Bilateral mastectomy, and I couldn't even drive. We had to do GoFundMes. We still couldn't catch up on our bills. Our bills was all behind because my husband had to stop working because he needed to take care of me. Like, it was a mess, right? Now we're in the second semester of me going to school, and mentally I'm starting to break down. But I'm still pushing through, right? I began to get angry. My medical experience was horrible. One doctor told me when I asked him, why is my white blood count too low? He said, well, all black people's blood is bad. Wait, that really happened? That really happened. It's important to, to note here, the other part of Shimona's story is that on top of dealing with food and housing and security, trying to go to school, raising a family, she's also encountering incidents of racism and uh, discrimination as she's trying to access services. And a lot of our students have told us before that it's not just the basic needs challenges. That's one level of their struggle, but it's the asking for help sometimes doesn't go well because of assumptions about people, whether it's around their ethnicity or their socioeconomic class. Mona had to fight to change her primary care physician and for the first time was told that her pain and numbness might never go away. Everything was like all happening at once. And I just started crying. Because <laughs> I was like, no one has ever said that to me because they were making me feel like I need to be okay, like I should be fine. And that's when I started to deal with it. I started in therapy and everything, but the walls were still crashing around me, you know? And so what really, really like the rock bottom, like right before I met Danielle was my son was pouring some milk and I said, son, make sure you don't pour a lot of milk in there. Just pour what you need. And he was like, but I, you know, I said, I wasn't upset or anything. I was like, open the cabinet right there. 
And so he opened it. I said, what do you see? And he seen a couple of cans. He said, I see a couple of cans. I said, do you, does our cabinets ever look like that? He's like, no. I was like, we don't have food right now to waste. So you cannot waste milk. At that moment, I didn't really deal with it. But when I came to campus, that's when it hit me hard. I had a complete meltdown. Like I was trying to get into the McNair program. They were asking me the questions and I was like glazed over like, okay, all right. Swallowing my tears. They didn't know, nobody knew, right? Maybe my reaction was because not being able to get in the program at that moment, right? Nobody knew. And when I left, I just fell apart. I only have three classes to graduate, three to get my bachelor's degree. I have three classes. The sacrifice that I'm making to go to school as a full-time student at my family's risk. So what does that mean? I need to stop. It's selfish. I need to think. So if I have to just take one or two classes at a time and it takes me longer to finish, that's okay. But I can't continue to sacrifice my family like this. I have to get a full-time job. This story doesn't have a happy ending. In fact, it's a story that is still unfolding. It is. And I have some really good news. Mona was able to find a full-time job that allows her to go to school, so this spring she's still a student at Sacramento State. Oh, that is good news, and not just for Mona, but for all of the people in our community who recognize the problem and are stepping up to help. No one chooses hunger, so even when we find, you know, folks that are facing it, we also find that they're not giving up on themselves, and we shouldn't give up on them either. This has been the Beyond J podcast from the campus at Sacramento State. Special thanks to my editors, Sam Church and Jack Vaughn.